back to the Line to Gain podcast. This is season three, episode 21, covering the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. My name is Jeremy Dixon, here as always with Mike Parker. Mike, say hello. What up, Jeremy? Just made it uh, under the wire, or five minutes after the wire. So, <laughs> good to be here. Yeah, good to be here. Um, all right, man. Yeah, if you could please like, listen, rate, review, share the podcast, we would appreciate it. Um, breaking news as we start recording here, Jim Harbaugh has agreed to uh, take the Los Angeles Chargers job. Oh, snap. I haven't seen the latest, but uh, not, I, not a is, surprise. He, is he GM as well? I've not heard that. Okay. I imagine hiring him, he comes with a certain amount of like required power in that environment. I assume it's similar to at least to um, Pete Carroll because he was signed on as the coach and then they brought in John Schneider after the fact to be GM. Uh, and they worked uh, hand in hand uh, for all intents and purposes for the last uh, decade or so. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just the headline doesn't say anything about uh, what his uh, role, front office uh, role is, or how much uh, control he has over the organization. But I have to imagine. What's your take? Gonna have a lot. Um, you know, it's not really that much of a surprise i guess i kind of it was it, signs were kind of pointing there over the last week or so it was one of the um, landing spots that we had talked about for sure right right so yeah um i know yesterday all of a sudden it popped up that Pete carroll was pushing to get that chargers job so that would have been thought that was a joke i i i'm hoping it was like maybe like him and harbaugh just still dislike each other so much pete's like screw it i'm gonna try to get my name in here but yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, Harbaugh's been successful everywhere, every stop he's had in uh, coaching. So from the University of San Diego to Stanford to San Francisco to Michigan. Like him or hate him, I think Jim Harbaugh is what you would call a program uh, maker, a program developer. Uh, I think the Chargers deeply need to create a culture in that team, in that building. Uh, and I think he does at least a good job in the short term of setting expectations and creating that culture. He does have a tendency to grind on his uh, superiors or the people that he works closely with over a period of time. Hopefully he's softened in that regard. Uh, definitely college football is a little bit more um, uh, open to hiring assholes. Uh, uh, eventually NFL, you kind of like you run into an owner that's a billionaire that they're like, you know, you're kind of a dick. Uh, I'm going to fire you. Uh, right. You don't see that a lot in college as long as you're successful. So um, I'm excited to see what he can do with uh, uh, Justin Herbert. Um, yeah. I think he can, I think he's can rebuild the team from scratch. I think he knows what he wants. I think uh, it's exciting. I think they're probably away a year away or so before they start really competing up against uh, the chiefs and the other top teams in the AFC, but, um, but they, they've man. got the, they've got the young quarterback and that's the, you know, that's one of the biggest, uh, I guess, biggest pitfalls. The problem is everyone, well, everyone around him is old. Like everyone. It's except an old for, team. Except for that garbage wide receiver they drafted from TCU last year. Yeah. Everybody else's. I'm interested to see what the uh, the L.A. Chargers uh, media team comes out with on Twitter. Like what kind of like animation 
posts they put together. They're actually, there's, they're really funny um, when they do their scheduling videos and stuff like that at the beginning of the year. So, so yeah, we'll I mean, and, and if, you know, we're getting, we're getting down there for the job openings uh, all getting um, taken up to now the, I forget what the guy's name is now that um, the offensive coordinator from Cincinnati, who I hadn't even really heard of as much. Callahan. As, Callahan. There you go. Um, I hadn't even heard of him as much of a, uh, a candidate anywhere that like he got the Tennessee job a couple days ago. And then, um, you know, we already know Gerard Mayo's in new England and Antonio Pierce got uh, the, the uh, full time job as in, head. Yep. in Vegas with the Raiders. So now it's what Washington, Carolina, Seattle, and Atlanta. But Atlanta sounds like they're on the uh, precipice of hiring Bill Belichick. Um, so it might be you know Seattle and Car and and I've heard Washington has a lot of ties to Ben Johnson. So looks like uh looks like Carolina and Seattle for I mean Mike Vrabel's still out there. Mike McDonald's still out there. Dan Quinn. I think- I think Seattle's waiting for some of the teams that are currently in the playoffs uh, to be out of the playoffs before they solidify their head coaching um, decision. Unless they're 100%, we want this particular guy that's available right now. Um, you ha- I mean, you always run the risk of not getting any of your top candidates because you waited too long. Mm-hmm. But if you have an opportunity to get a one or two candidate because they're in the playoffs right now, you can't really deal with it. Uh, maybe you just, you just pause for a moment, wait three weeks and see what, see what happens. Yeah. Um, my, I, my tide is kind of, the tide is turning on my feelings with uh, Mike McDonald because I heard a, I heard an interesting take the other day that yeah you know, Mike McDonald worked for, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan and now is the defensive coordinator for uh, John Harbaugh with Baltimore. But how much control does he have over that defense? That defense looks amazing, but Lamar Jackson and that offense aren't coming with him. And the other point that somebody made that I, I didn't hadn't really thought of was that he's from the Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh coaching tree. So now, where's he going to get his assistance from? Because now Jim Harbaugh just got this job in, in LA. So he's going to gobble up his top choice for assistance that are probably going to come from the same pool of guys. He, that McDan- are you McDonald's. listening to your local radio again? Mike don't No, I'm not. Like, and the fact that you don't listen to local radio is crazy, but you also like mean girls. So we don't need to. It's a good movie. It's unassailable. Okay. I think you're on the bad side of that take. Okay. Anyway, all right, let's get to our, our picks to not bore people for two hours today. <laughs> How'd you do this week on your picks? Four you were 100%, percent, right? I just took yeah. the, I just took the uh, money line on all the, the favorites, so. Well, I'm Casey six, wasn't six a favorite. And two. I'm six and two. Oh, you're, that's true. Kansas City wasn't a favorite. But I think I'm six and two overall. Not bad. Uh, yeah, I um, I ended up with uh, losing the San Francisco minus nine and a half. Green Bay kept it close, uh, but I, I won Baltimore minus eight and a half, Detroit minus six, and then the Kansas City money line. They were a two and a half point underdog, if I remember correctly. Uh, payout this week was a whopping fifteen oh four sixty six. 
Um, so, you know, minus my, my loss of two, you know, this week, I, I netted, uh, 1,254.66, bringing my season total up to $922 and 93 cents. I'm currently at about 51% on my picks this year, uh, as a whole. So, uh, back into, uh, the top 50th percentile back into the, into the black, uh, feel pretty positive about that. Good job, man. I don't know where I'm at. I'm not, and I'm not going back to look because I'm probably much worse than that. Literally nobody but me and you care. So okay. that's probably a good idea. Well, I And I don't even care. So I guess. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. So we're just going to get to the games now. Or we're going to go uh, for who we, yeah, let's get to the games. That's, that's the format. Yep. Houston at Baltimore. Um, okay. Obviously at Baltimore. Houston, the four seed, going into Baltimore, uh, the number one seed. This game was pretty close at halftime. It was tied at 10-10. I was like, oh, what's going on here? Um, the Houston defense had blitzed Lamar uh, at 75% rate. Did you hear this? The the blitz rate for that, that Houston defense. That's insane. Uh, Lamar was destroying him. He was 13 for 18 against the blitz uh, for 120 yards and uh, two touchdowns. So whatever they did at halftime, it just was like, they just, well, maybe we should uh, really start using the sports car in this race. So uh, they came out of the garage with the sports car and just destroyed them. Um, well, and really I mean, the, I, the Texans had a had a punt return for a touchdown or a kick return. I'm, I can't remember which now. Only three um, offensive points. To yeah, point. I mean, they the Baltimore's defense just shut them down and uh, – but if you can hang for 30 minutes with that team offensively and defensively and keep it close, I mean, that's what you're looking for. Yeah. They just, they I mean, couldn't you're, sustain you're it. Hoping for, you're just hoping for a mistake then. And I mean, uh, and giving up a, a kick return for a, a touchdown is a mistake, regardless of what a punt return. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. You're just hoping that Lamar Jackson turns into the Lamar Jackson of old and, and starts giving the ball away. Um, but he, I mean, they were on point like him and him rushing the ball. Like, like you said, taking the, taking the car out of the, out of the garage or whatever. And the, the sports car out of the garage in the second half, like he was just on it, man. And he was, he was completing passes all like to everybody. I mean, Nelson, I forgot Nelson Aguilar even, the <laughs> NFL football player until he caught a touchdown pass, but you yeah, know, Isaiah, eight different I, receivers caught a pass on Saturday. How many? Eight. Yeah. That's just spraying the ball. And he barely threw for any yards too, right? Didn't 16 he? for 22 for 152 yards only and 120 of those against the blitz. But he also put up a uh, hundred rushing too, which was it went, and two it, additional see, touchdowns. Yeah, Houston, Houston had to be feeling so good and like you know they're 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 kind of keeping him in the pocket, and then all of a sudden it just something broke down and he was gone like multiple multiple times. It was uh, he definitely put on a show. I feel like this week and and uh, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, going to be a tough. Out. I was I watched the first half of this game and was like, whoa. Houston's just keeping this close. And then it went into halftime and I took my dog for this walk. It's about a mile and a half, almost two miles. And I'm like, all right, cool. Still at halftime through, through the walk. I come back. All right. Out of the gate. Um, Baltimore scores a touchdown. Now it's 17 to 10. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. By the time I get back, it's 24 to 10. 
Um, and it's just like they got boat raced in that second half. And honestly, I didn't watch a whole lot of that second half at that point. I had to, you know, take care of some stuff and just having a blowout like that. It was just like, I don't know if I want to spend a whole lot of time, yeah. you know, watching, watching this game. But, um, I, you know, a, a, another, another week where Lamar Jackson doesn't put up huge passing numbers. That's why it's been so hard to, for me to like get my head wrapped around what his skill set is, is he looks like, like you look at the numbers and they're just, he doesn't say elite quarterbacking, right? Right. Six, 16 for 20. We only trust him to throw 22 passes. It was only 152 yards, but they're, when he needs them, they're there. It's just like, it's, he's accurate. He throws from different platforms. He can throw accurately on the run. He can throw a deep ball. Uh, he can move in the pocket. He's so scary. Um, and I guess if you add up the rushing yards to that, I mean, I don't think it's comparable because obviously a hundred rushing yards is a lot more difficult than a hundred passing yards. Uh, so. But he's not uh, getting, and then you got to think he's not getting touched on any of those. Like he's either getting in the end zone or, I mean, I guess he's getting touched, but going in the end zone or, you know, he's sliding or he's running out of bounds on, you know, he's not taking the, the punishment. So he's still just. I mean, just here's what else he's electric, man. Yeah, exactly. And I just have to get my, my, I have to reset my, uh, my brain in a lot of ways when I watch him just to kind of recalibrate what good football looks like versus what good quarterbacking looks like. And he plays the quarterback position, obviously, and he's a great football player. And I don't mean that to be condescending at all. Um, it's I'm the, I'm the problem. I've watched quarterbacks sit in a pocket big slow six foot four guys just sitting in the pocket uh just put throwing the ball downfield that's that's what i've grown up with and this is definitely a different version of that um and it's it's nonetheless exciting to watch i will say in houston defense's uh defense defense is that they at least stuck to the plan they're going to go, we're going to put Lamar Jackson under pressure all game. And we're going to do our best to cover up in in uh, the secondary. And frankly, I felt their secondary held up very well, considering everything that was going on. Obviously, not a lot of passing yards. The one thing that it's really tough for a defense to do is get up field on a quarterback and not leave gaps uh, for him to escape. He is so good, like Josh Allen at at, at running when he has outside pressure. If you're not coming up, the, you have to like literally come up the middle and around the edges. You have to close in on him like a, like a tornado or something like that in order to stop it. Um, even with when you uh, ghost these guys or, you know, or mirror them, whatever they call that, um, it's really hard because he'll get like eight yards before that guy can get a hand on him. And sometimes if that linebacker is out there on an island, they just – get shook and you know it's over so man it's really that's the thing yeah he's just he's so fast man that it's a linebacker can't you know unless he takes a perfect angle on him you're not even yeah there's a chance you don't even touch him um but yeah i mean it's they i i that's the thing i like about baltimore is that i feel like they just get electric players because zay flowers is the same way that guy like he it looked like he almost broke his own ankle making a, a like a stop cut in the first half of that game and, and it was just like 
my mind was blown a couple of times by just watching how quick he is once uh, he gets the ball in his hands. So, um, yeah, like great win by Baltimore. I was, I was, uh, I was impressed. Like, yeah, like you said, it looked close in the first day up until halftime. And then it just kind of the wheel, you know, Baltimore put the clamps down in the second half and really, really uh, locked it in. So I got a couple of, I got one point that I'd like to make and the one additional question about Houston. So the point is we've talked about Baltimore being one of the best teams in the league, like a complete right. team. And a lot of times when you see uh, the usage rate of a particular player, like Josh Allen throwing the ball, running the ball, and then you get a little, little noise from Steph, you know, from Diggs when he's not, you know, getting the ball or something like that. Right. I will say considering all of the, the people in that line, that uh, wide receiver room and everything around Lamar Jackson, there seems to be buy-in for what they're doing. Odell had one catch for 12 yards, but you don't hear anything about it. It's like, we're going to go out. We're going to win. We understand right. why we're here. we understand what we're trying to do. We're not going to, you know, disrupt the apple cart. We're just going to, we're going to play our role. We're going to, we're going to catch the ball or make a, make a play when we need to, when our number is called. But other than that, we're going to stick to the plan and, um, I really do appreciate when a team comes together like that. Well, and it just goes to show you that, you know, maybe the, because you would think that with all the, I guess, the media portrayal of Odell Beckham Jr., that you would think that he's going to be the uh, malcontent, just, you know, bitching that he's not getting enough enough run. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's uh, making making his mark however he has the opportunity to and then, you know, keeping it moving, so – um, good, good for him to glad to see. Now, doing yeah, that. Odell's been a little divisive in his career. I don't think he has any issues with his actual teammates, but he's had issues with like other players on other teams and stuff like that. He is a little divisive in, in who he is and, you know, what America thinks a wide receiver should look like and act like. Uh, I wasn't using him as like, he's a bad apple and he's finally in line kind of situation, but I was just using him as an example with his low usage rate in this particular game. Right. I just wanted to, as a caveat, I don't think he's a bad person or anything. Yeah, okay. um, my, my question to you is if you're a Houston Texans fan, are you, are you feeling positive about your year? Are you feeling positive about let's say the next five years uh, for your team? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you have to, they have to be one of the, I mean, with, with that quarterback play and, you know, the young, with the young coach, I just feel like, yeah, you everything's got to be pointing to, you know, like you're going to have success at some point. Quarterback looks great. As a, as a Houston fan, though, I probably felt that way after Deshaun Watson's last year playing for us, too. Before. But if you think about it, Watson didn't have a lot of talent around him offensively, no. right? No. Um, but I think uh, Houston's wide receiver core is really good. Um, their, their linemen were manageable this week. They have, they have a couple of what I would call – all pro borderline, all pro tackles, uh, line linemen in place there. Um, they're running back. Uh, they need to get better at running back. Somebody yeah. had, I, I saw something that said Saquon Barkley. Does that change the narrative for them? I think so. I think it improves their running game dramatically yeah, over Devin no Singletary. Um, I think their, their defense is at the core positions are, is young. They're good at pass rush. 
Um, I think Stingley, um, Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, in the secondary is a good uh, piece to start building off of the rest of that, that secondary. Uh, I definitely think they're trending up. Um, they have a lot of players that are free agents after this year. So uh, it's just a matter of how you utilize the first four years of CJ Stroud and that rookie contract to build out the team to kind yeah. of utilize what his skill set is and the other young talent that you have on the team. Um, I think the biggest thing ahead of them is how do they develop players? How do they scout and draft players? How do they get talent into the building? Um, I think that's always a big challenge for, for teams. But to your point, I would be super happy and excited to watch this team for the next uh, three to five years. Yeah. I'm uh I'm, I'm an, I'm excited if I'm a, if I'm a, uh, Houston Texans fan today for sure. All right. Uh, unless there's anything else with this particular game, I think we can move on to the evening game. Um, San yeah. Francisco 49ers. I'm sorry, the Green Bay Packers at San Francisco. Oh, Lee, man. I, we actually watched this game together. We I did. was so, man, I, I was, I was thinking of all the people I was ready to call to talk shit to uh, when the Packers upset green bay and i was like i'm not doing it until after the game is a wrap and all these people on twitter like oh if the if uh don't, don't count your cheese until the curds mature golly man yeah it's just terrible freaking terrible so anyway um yeah like green bay comes out of the gates in this game mike and just really they seem like we we talked about this before the game i'm like well me because they're the youngest team in in the playoffs, I think is what was that what we were talking what, what the the stat was. And I was like, they were okay. the I think the young the youngest team in the NFL. Full stop. So I okay. think definitely in the playoffs. Yeah. So anyway, I said I made a joke like somewhere around like you know maybe maybe they're so young they don't know better that they're supposed they to don't be, know they should win this know, game right get their <laughs> their asses kicked so they yeah. yeah they they went through and uh, yeah I mean they came out came straight down the field and got held to a field goal there in the first quarter, but they were, their defensive line looked fantastic against that San Francisco offensive line. And I don't know if San Francisco is missing anybody, but they were getting, well, let's, a... let's be clear. San Francisco lost Debo in the first quarter. I think he, True, he yeah. came out of the gate. He was doing kickoff returns to start. Yeah. He had like two passes right off the bat and got injured, had an injured shoulder. So they lost one of the three amigos Right. Um, like right off the bat, Purdy was had a glove on because it was pouring down rain. He had the glove on. He took the glove off. He put the glove back on again. Everything was fine. Like who knows what was going on with him? He got off to a slow start. He was two for three for twenty four yards uh, in the first quarter. Two for three for twenty four. Uh, second quarter a little bit better. Eight for thirteen. One oh one and a touchdown. Uh, third quarter. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say oh, third quarter. Yeah. Five, five for 10 for 59 yards. And then finally in the fourth, had a little drive there towards the end uh, to set up CMC's touchdown, uh, eight for 12 and 68. He did well on the back half of each half. Um, but in those front sides, he was dirting a lot of passes, overthrows. There was two, two, there was at least one that should have been picked. Um, so there was definitely, he was, was not in, in rhythm like we, we have seen in the past. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's true. And, you know, after losing 
losing one third of the three amigos um, there with uh, Debo going out in the first quarter. George Kittle, I know he had the one touchdown, but he made so many big plays on third downs, got the chains moving for them multiple times when it would look like they were pinned back. Yep. And and Green Bay was coming after him. He would get loose across the middle and get get just enough for a first down. Um, yeah, he, I, to me, he was probably the player of the game for San Francisco, at least on offense. Yeah. Four catches for 81 yards and that 32 yard touchdown that, uh, started off, um, uh, San Francisco scoring in the, in the second quarter, uh, to your point when they needed a big catch, he was there. He did have one drop, but I, after that, I think he, uh, caught, caught all of his passes that were thrown at him, um, after that. So you know, to, we've there's a couple other tight ends in the in the in the Sunday games that had the same effect. Early on, when you're trying to find your rhythm, to have somebody that can block like that, can run routes like that, can beat the matchup at linebacker and safety like he can, uh, has sure hands for the most part, and is really really good at getting yards after catch. Uh, George Kittle was definitely um the mvp of this game for the 40 well it's probably cmc uh christian mccaffrey at the end of the day but just at least that first part of getting over the jitters of being in the in the divisional game and all that the emotion that that takes just having some easy throws to your tight end and let him go out there and uh, run over some some people that really did help yeah absolutely um i did want to mention and shout out aaron jones from this game too like he was like the freaking cheat code for Green Bay. Just the guy you couldn't you couldn't stop him. Like he was he looked fantastic running the ball. Um 18 rushes for 108 to your point. Yeah, and you know, he did, he did have a few catches too, didn't really amount to much, but I just felt like having him back in there a healthy Aaron Jones um, cause he missed a good, good chunk of the season this year. And then was like pretty banged up even when he came back. But, uh, it seems like they, I mean, they, they had this, they, they had this game, you know, it was theirs to lose and they lost it. But, uh, and obviously San Francisco is, is an elite, elite team. And they, they definitely, uh, clamped down when they needed to and got, got this W, but man, it, it was just an exciting game. Like Mike, the, my hot take for this week, I'm just going to give it away. It's, it's just how amazing divisional round NFL weekend is every year. It seems to just, I think it's the best weekend of football personally. Um, but the I'm going to take it. I'm going to take a note of this hot take because I want to, I want to definitely talk about this. I got some, some feedback and listening to some podcasts and stuff uh, today around this. And I wanted to kind of uh, give you your flowers for this take. So okay. I'm going to add that on, on take corner as well. Right. So we can we'll, circle we'll back, back to it and take corner. But I like, I honestly, man, even though like I was rooting wholeheartedly for green Bay in this game at the end of the night, when you know, me and you had been hanging out. Um, both of us ate some dinner over here. We just kind of hung out and watched the game, uh, had some dinner or whatever. And uh, it, yeah, I just, I felt good, man. It was, it was an exciting game. I, I went to bed that night feeling feeling for my, my football uh, tank was filled. Yeah, for sure. It felt like a good day of football in general. And it was a great way to kind of end that particular Saturday with that game. Uh, obviously it came down, you know, 
Green Bay had the ball with about a, a minute and minute, 10 seconds left on the clock. Um, 75 yards to go uh, for, you know, well, they had to get in the field goal range to tie it uh, 75 right. yards for a touchdown. Um, and they were kind of moving the ball. Okay. Their first three or four uh, attempts. Um, and then Jordan Love throws a pretty egregious throw across his body on the run to the left. I'm, I'm sorry, on the run to the right across his body and it gets intercepted. Um, the whole right side of the field was wide open. He was out of the pocket. All he has to do is just kind of toss it out of bounds and like live to play another down. I, mean, I get the mentality down, right? in the moment. Wasn't it first? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the first down that he threw that on, but that's a great question here. Let's take a look here. Um, it was first and 10 on the green Bay 36 when he threw that. So definitely oh, had an opportunity to, um, you know, throw it out of bounds, stop the clock. There was still 52 seconds left. Um, so they'd got about 11 yards in, you know, 10 seconds or something. That's a pretty efficient way to kind of move the ball down the field. That um, kicker, their kicker, um, he's like, a, I think he's German or something. Uh, he, he, they were saying he's got kind of unlimited range too. And I know it was very windy. And Anders uh, Carlson. Anders, Anders Carlson. Um it was really windy and rainy and it's, it almost seemed like as San Francisco scored that last touchdown with Christian McCaffrey, I made a joke to you too. It says like, it says last boy scout vibes to it. It's how hard yep. it was raining at the, at the end of the game there. But it's like, it seemed like the, it was on cue, right. As uh San Francisco scores that final touchdown to, uh to take the three point lead and uh, just started just dumping rain so um you know it probably would have been tough for him to kick like a 60 yard field goal or something in that in those conditions but man yeah you just gotta try to do something to to give your your guys a chance and obviously he you know jordan love was just trying to make a play but that was not the move right I, I i would i would like for his development to he's young it's his uh he's third year in the nfl first year as a starter um you're trying to make something happen for your team. You think you can can make that throw because you're so targeted on that one guy. He underthrew the pass. I knew what he was trying to do, but he, the guy he was trying to throw it to was surrounded by three. They had a guy, a linebacker that dropped in in front of him and ended up. Um, it was Greenlaw ended up, you know, picking that ball off. And it's just like, all right, maybe next time he goes, that's not there. You have to make that split decision. That's not there. I'm going to throw it out of bounds and I'm going to, I have three more downs to try and figure this out. Right. And that's the thing is that is always going to be the better route. Now he had made some crazy throws like that where he's rolling out and he throws it, but the guy's wide open. There's a difference. You can see he's clearly wide open. In this case, he was definitely throwing it kind of in coverage, a uh, bad decision. Uh, hopefully he'll get better than that. But I, I think he has a high ceiling after watching him in the second half of this, this season. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very impressed by, uh, by what he's been able to uh, accomplish, you know, I, like what, and we don't, obviously we don't know what, what the future holds for, for these guys, but, um, you know, for, for his first go at it, like he really had an up and down season, but it, it started out with a couple good games, I think. And then it went real low for a while, but he, he, I, I like that. I like his poise and that he didn't, you know, lose his cool and, um, just kept with it. And, and he looks like a great young quarterback right now. So I'm, I would be pretty excited if I was a, 
Packers fan. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think they got a well, they got a I think they got a good team. They made it to the divisional round with the youngest team in the league. Uh one year older, one year uh more training, more uh education in the game, more reps. I think they can only go up from here. So I think they got a good core and I expect them to be in the mix in the playoffs for the next, for the foreseeable future, for sure. Question to you around San Francisco though. Do you think, do you think with Kyle Shanahan continuing to play call so conservatively, do you think that's a problem moving forward? He seems like he's calling the game not to lose versus win. You know, on a personal level, I hope he does because I do not want to see San Francisco win the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, I think at some point you got to just open it up and say, like, it's do or die. We got to get points on the board here. Um, Because there was that stat. They were 0 for 31 if they go down by five plus points or four plus points in the fourth quarter. That's not a good stat for this so-called high-powered offense. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah, there. Somebody mentioned too that they're not. They're a good front-running team. They're you know during the broadcast they were talking a bit about that that they were they're a really good. You know, if they get out ahead of you, you're screwed. But if you can can get out, just you know, stay a little bit ahead of them. It's they have a really hard time chasing people down. So, um, well, I think we have a good. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. This weekend, I, I feel. I mean, I hope Detroit wins this coming game, but I feel like San Francisco probably gets it. But yeah, I mean, what against the against Baltimore or Kansas City, you're probably going to have to open up the offense. And well, when we when we talk fun. about our picks this week, let's let's have a deeper discussion about how we feel the matchups are going to go uh, for the upcoming weekend. But that's a really good discussion to have, and kind of what the what Detroit needs to do to win, what San Francisco needs to do to win, et cetera. So, all right. Any other points on that Green Bay game? No, no. All right. Let's go to to the Sunday games. Uh, The early game uh, was Tampa Bay at Detroit. Um, So this game had the best crowd of the weekend. Ford Field was electric. It felt like I was watching like Wembley Stadium when they were having some like English Premier League mega match where they're like crazy loud, all the signs and all the noisemakers and the whole thing. That crowd seemed just like they were so engaged in that game. Um, And it was just back and forth. It was like, you know, Detroit gets out field goal, Tampa field goal, Detroit touchdown, Tampa touchdown, Detroit touchdown, Tampa touchdown. Yeah, that – that's then what Detroit I put. Got, then Detroit got out too, but it was like you could almost. I, I noticed watching that game, you could. There was a couple points like after um, Tampa would score to to answer, it was almost like you could hear a pin drop in there, which is is so funny. It was it almost had like a college. Like you mentioned, like uh, I guess the Euroleague soccer stuff too. Like it just it was. Yeah, it was it was crazy in there. It had a college feel to it. I felt like too college football. You know, they get crazy like that. But it was it was fun, man. This game was a lot of fun to watch. Um, that game had a hum, like the whole game. It had this hum. 
Like yeah. if you just listen, it's mm, this. It was yeah. When you hear that stuff, you know it's on. Yeah. Uh, to your point, uh, this team, these two teams, like the first you know four drives or so, really felt like they were feeling each other out. No team was like just getting out of the gates. Um, no defense was giving up too much. Uh, first quarter, first four drives were Detroit punt, uh, Tampa Bay interception, Detroit field goal, Tampa Bay field goal. And it's just like, that's kind of how this game started. And it was really close going into halftime. Um, uh, 10, 10, in fact, but second half, uh, the, the Detroit offense started to find a little rhythm started to, uh, so I wanted to say, in the beginning of this game, we were talking about tight ends earlier. Um, I want to give a shout out to um, Sam Laporta in this game. I felt like early on when they needed a couple of plays to keep the drive going, especially on that field goal drive, um, he was there for them. Not a lot of stuff was working. Um, Goff wasn't getting a lot of passes to his uh, wide receivers at, in that first first few drives and I thought Laporta got them to the next segment of the game which I call the Jameer Jameer Gibbs section and he's probably the difference maker in this game for Detroit uh he looked explosive 74 yards rushing and a touchdown um and just looked fantastic another 40 catching the ball uh so yeah between those two I think it just kept them in the game and then it allowed Goff to develop a little confidence, um, took some shots downfield. You know, he found Amon Ross St. Brown. He found Josh Reynolds for a touchdown. Uh, that, that throw to St. Brown and the back of the end zone, that was a really, really good throw uh, by Jared Goff. So. Yeah, and I mean, man, Baker Mayfield, like, you know, he's, he's fighting off some injuries. He's, he had his. He had That's his, my next bullet point. Let's have a Baker conversation. Yeah, so let's I do feel that like this sure. guy. I mean, I feel like he he throws his his uh his you know chalk it up to two two interceptions every game. He's gonna you know he's at least throwing two balls that should get intercepted every game. Just depends if they catch him or not. Well, the first one I looked at it, it hit Mike Evans in the head. It was a That's, little high. It was above his head for sure, but it should have been caught. The second one was completely on him. Um, not again, one of those situations where he was kind of rolling out to his right and and didn't see the linebacker dropping underneath. Right. Um, so well, and it was yeah, it was it was rolling to his right and throwing it back across the middle. It's yep, exactly. Cardinal sin, man. Um, do it. But yeah, he. I mean, he's a he's a fun player to watch. He gets hyped up like he, I don't, yeah, I just, I enjoy watching him play football, I think, especially when he's succeeding and he's not playing for the Cleveland Browns and they have nobody around him and the whole thing. He's a good locker room guy. He Players seem to like him. He seems coachable. He puts the effort in. He cares. Today he threw for 349 yards and uh, three touchdowns. So in the second half after um, I think it was um, the Detroit went up 17 to 31, he didn't quit. He kept at it. He came back and uh, got uh, Mike Evans in the end zone for a touchdown to get within eight. There was that controversy. So they got they got the touchdown. Um, and then they went for the two point conversion. Now 
they would have been down by six with an opportunity to score another touchdown, which they needed regardless, and an extra point that then they win by, you know, a point essentially is the right. is the math that they were going by. And the reason you go by two in this first situation, because if you don't get it, you still have an opportunity to go for it the second time on the, you know, the second um, touchdown that you must score uh, to tie it and take it into overtime. So I appreciated um, the strategy that they were going for. A lot of people are like, just kick the field goal. Like, I don't know. We have a two point conversion. Um, I didn't care that, um, that the lions went for it against uh, Dallas in that game and right. didn't get it. I say just if you can get a win on the road in an NFL game and you think you have the play called, call it. Yeah, I mean I get it. I get it. It that that's it's a ballsy move though. It's a ballsy move. To me, that's not as ballsy as the as the as the Detroit at Dallas one. That's like you could have you could have literally tied the game in that scenario um versus and he just wanted the win i think this is less ballsy this is about calculation this is about about giving your team multiple t- uh, opportunity to score uh and get this game to a, a manageable position so i i thought this is a different scenario i would have done i'll still i would do it again even though you know there's well, a 55 percent success rate yeah i mean and, and tampa bay got the ball back with um not sure how much time was left on the clock there when uh interception occurred minute, minute they, they had a they had a buck 59 it was just under the two minute warning when yeah. they got the ball yeah so they and then baker threw the interception with a minute 33 to go so um <clears throat> yeah man i mean they they had every opportunity to go down and and uh punch one more in there and just yeah again man just bad decisions throw the ball away and and uh, live to live to play another down now we talked about tampa's age uh earlier in earlier this season in the podcast um they got a, they they have some young players that they brought in through the draft and some free agency that have played for them well and have actually started over guys like levante david and and uh, some other stalwarts for that defense so they have some people in the hopper right now but they really need to start improving at offensive line defensive front guys are getting older they need to start getting some people in the key positions in the secondary um it's unlikely that uh, mike evans stays uh godwin gets hurt quite a bit um, they need to kind of re-up at the uh, wide receiver position. They need to shore up their running back. They got a lot of positions to fill. I think right now you, you, you bring in. Mike, you don't think Mike Evans is back? Um, I don't think so. Eight I don't think so. 147 and a touchdown? Shoot, man. He's only 30. You don't think you give him a, another deal? I'm not sure it's up to Tampa Bay. Well, that's, I mean, they could, they, well, it is because they could just franchise it. Are they going to franchise tag wide receiver? Have we seen that? Uh, I'm sure we. I'm sure some wide receivers gotten franchise tag before, but um, yeah, I think Calvin Johnson did. But anyway, we don't need to dig into that. Anyway, twenty. Uh, yeah, and then Chris Godwin's twenty-seven. You do have K. I like Kate Otten, not just because he's from Tumwater and uh, went to the University of Washington. But uh, he's only 24. 
So you got you have a couple of young. I mean, twenty. Godwin and Otten are nice pieces. Um, Rashad White, I guess. I mean, you, he's twenty five. I don't know. Running backs are kind of a dime a dozen anymore, though. But yeah, they need they need some skill position players or to to surround them with. I I still do. And they they really need a defense, man. They're like they still Levante David still plays for these guys. Yeah, that's crazy. I, he's only thirty three. That's nuts to me. I thought he was like thirty seven. Um, but you know they they have a couple. Of, they have Vita Vea. He he can't be too old. Um, you know, Jai, Joe Joe Tryon Shorinka or whatever. They got a few. But he's he's not the guy. Got- but they, but he's not the guy that they think that they that they thought he was at no. this point. No, yeah, probably not. He, well, it, I did I did a quick search. Uh, Devonte Adams uh, was the last wide receiver uh, to be franchise tagged. It doesn't happen very often for receivers. The current tag value for a wide receiver for that one year is twenty million. So I, it's unlikely that they do that for Mike Evans. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, they, they need some pieces for sure, man. But yeah, um, yeah, Mike Evans is but maybe they try to get him a team friendly deal, you know, keep him keep him in Tampa. It's the only place he's ever played. Maybe he wants Hey, to- I'm telling you, they can try. They can they're gonna they're gonna try to offer him. There's no question. If they can keep him in the building, they will. But I I mean, I don't know just with the contention that Mike had at the beginning of the season, who knows? Yeah, there is uh, well, some beef there for sure. Yeah, that I mean, that's all I'm saying. It's just like the team is old. There's no question. They have some players on there that they can obviously keep, but skill positions are going to be light. Um, quarterback, if they can keep Baker in, this is my point. You keep Baker in, you, you, you know, give him a raise or whatever. Give him maybe a two. Give him the Geno deal, yeah. and then you you have a solid player at quarterback in place while you build around him. And maybe you get lucky in the next year or two with your draft picks. You get a quarterback, second, third round or something like that. Turns out to be a, a dude and you're off and running. But they need to rebuild. They need to, uh, to you know, you fill the coffers any, for sure. Do you feel any different? So you're a Seahawks fan. We're Seahawks fans, obviously. If you're a Tampa Bay fan right now, are you feeling very – 2023 Seattle Seahawks fan right now. I mean, it, it's kind of a s- similar situation for both teams, right? You got Tyler Lockett, who's an older wide receiver, like Mike Evans. You got DK Metcalf, who's a little bit younger, like Chris. Cox. I think the 2023 Seahawks had a little bit more certainty who was going to be on the field when this season ended in 2022. Okay. All right. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be fun to see. Like, I, I love NFL offseason too, man. Like, that's, it's, you know me and, you know me in the draft. I'm always geeking out on the draft, trying to talk Mike into who the Seahawks should draft. And he's just like, I don't care. Leave me alone. Well, because they never, they never take what we, the fans, think they should take. They have, they obviously have an intimate knowledge of, of the players that they need and what the, what they're trying to do. Typically, I'm a get a quarterback if you can. If not, build out your offensive and defensive lines. If you feel good about that, then you look at receiver and secondary. 
if you feel about good about that, then you start backfilling with uh, running back and linebackers. Those guys you pick up in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, those running backs and linebackers, and you just throw them in there and see what happens. If you have a, a defense that's that good and it's missing a middle linebacker, maybe you go get a rope on Smith if it's a, if it comes up to, to kind of solidify that defense in a, in a real way. Um, that that's kind of what the, the Ravens did to me. I am a proponent of building a team that way. Um, I am not a proponent like the Raiders. You get a flashy receiver that can run really fast in a straight line and big arm quarterbacks and all the weird stuff that they've done over the years. Not a huge fan of that. Not a huge fan of signing uh, expensive contracts to uh, running backs or wide receivers um, or anything like that. Um, quarterback is about all I'd pay uh, unless it's an elite elite rush uh pass rusher like micah parsons uh even nick bosa man just injury history um so i mean micah parsons uh uh the guy at um with the browns i always forget this dude's name um miles garrett yeah um, the one other thing I wanted to discuss in this game just briefly, Mike, is Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, more than likely getting either the Seattle or the Washington commander's job. Um, it sounds more like he's got a lot of ties uh, to the GM there in Washington and that you know, all, all signs are pointing to him going there. But I don't know, like, which – which job do you feel like is is a better job? Because, you know, I guess Washington is going to have a top three pick, so you're going to be able to draft one of the three quarterbacks, either the presumably LSU, or I mean, uh, Caleb Williams is more than likely gone, but um, you're going to have Drake May or or the LSU Heisman Trophy winning receiver that or a uh, quarterback there. Um, which position do you you know or you have sam howell or you could go you you could potentially you're not Marvin first of all if sam if sam howell is on my list like no i'm not going there so let's let's so make not, that you're not drafting marvin harrison jr and just trying to go out and ball ball the hell i out. need i need a quarterback sam howell is not it uh we have a lot of good receivers so here's what i'd say if i put my disgust and hatred for the washington franchise aside and just going what's the best football situation um, it's, I would have to say probably Washington, they have a really good receiver core. I think their running backs, um, are good enough. They need a quarterback. They need it bad. Uh, and then they need to build out that defense. The defense at least competes even when they kind of stripped it clear of its parts, uh, at the, um, at the free agent, um, or at the trade deadline. Um, they still competed. I like that. I think I just don't believe in Gino. Um, I'm not a huge believer of DK. Um, other uh, Tyler Lockett's old. I, 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 just, I just don't know what this team's going to be. All I can think of when I see uh, the uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is Jackson Smith and Jigba just running like all over the field, just like him. But uh, yeah, Jackson's is, gonna is, ha- Jackson's gonna have to work out a little bit more. Is Geno Smith? I mean, do do you feel better now about Geno Smith than you did about Jared Goff when he got traded to 
because I've never been like a bit. I thought Jared Goff was pretty terrible his whole career. I mean, I, I'm coming around on him now. I know he did take the Rams to the Super Bowl that year, but I mean, that was more defense oriented than anything I felt like. Um, well, it's offensive system. It's a lot of play action. It's a lot of um, it's just play calling. I mean, and that's what he needs. I don't know. I'm not ever been very excited to watch Jared Goff play, to be honest. I think he has limitations. I think his accuracy, he throws a lot of duck balls quite a bit. Um, I question his, the zip on his arm. Um, if he's in rhythm, he can make throws, no question. But uh, I just don't. I don't see him being able to make plays off platform on the run, all the other things that you need when pressure's in your face. Uh, he seems to be a guy that shrinks in high leverage situations, which I'm not a huge fan of. He wears floppy sleeves on his jersey, so that's a red flag for and me. It's like a big. That's a big thing. For, hey, man, I get it because uh, Aaron Rodgers' chin strap drives me freaking crazy, bro. The one strap. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Rodgers' chin strap. No, he has just the one strap, though, right? Yeah, no, exactly. That, like, I, yeah. I remember I tried to fight people to, like, get a different chin strap in, in high school football because I'm like, I'm not wearing that thing. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> anyway. All right, let's get to this last game, man, and uh, and move on to, to championship weekend. All right, we saved the best for last. So did the NFL. Um, apparently, this had at its peak 52 million people watching this game, which is the most for a non-Super Bowl game, uh, playoff game in the history of the NFL. Uh, this was definitely the best game of the weekend. Um, I was on the uh, edge of my seat throughout most of this game. These um, teams just put on a show every goddamn time they strap it up together, man. It's crazy. Well, it's funny because Casey's defense, at least initially, really had a tough time stopping this Buffalo running game. Josh Allen had two rushing touchdowns in the first half, and it seemed like there was no answer to it. They were trading touchdowns for field goals. Right. Um, second half was another story, though. Right. We're Steve Spagnola. We're 17-13 going to half. Yep. And, yeah, they come out, and, and Kansas City just – well, they score on the opening drive of the drives, second half because yeah, they receive right the ball. Down the field, gets Travis Kelsey his second touchdown of the game. Now they're ahead, twenty seventeen. Right. And then yeah, and they just yeah, it was that it was that barrage at the beginning of the second half. So it was touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. So that was the end. Of, that was pretty much the end of the game. Sure. I think the thing that was crazy for me is the turnover on down. So we had the fake punt because apparently Kansas city only had 10 men on the field. So they decided to call an audible and do a fake punt. Uh, Buffalo missed that. Then it was the jet sweep, which obviously they should retire to Nicole Hardman, where he gets to the one yard line and then reaches the ball out. Gets, he fumbles it out of the back end zone. Now it's a touchback. And, and it's just like, I was like, they were ready. They were on the precipice of taking a 10 point lead. Uh, they had an amazing turnover. Every both the teams had been securing the ball, no sacks on each other, you know, on each other's quarterbacks. Everything was like lined up. This was the play. They got the turnover. Now it's we're in scoring position and then they fuck it up again. And I just go like these receivers. I don't know why you call it. Pacheco was destroying that middle defense of the Buffalo Bills. Why you call a jet sweep right there? I have no idea. 
I think that's a perfect example of them outthinking uh, the game. Now, I will say we, we made fun. Of, we made fun of earlier Kyle Shanahan calling real conservative plays. This is the exact opposite. This was a little too risky in my in my view. No, I agree, man. Yeah, and then it, we're coming to the end of the game and uh, Kansas City's up 27, 24. And with what, how, many, how much time was left on the clock here? When what? Got it down to a minute 47. Uh, Buffalo goes on a 16 play, 54 yard drive all the way down to the Kansas City 26. That that drive started with 8 minutes and 23 seconds left in the game. Yeah. And they get and it they grinded it to 47. Yep, exactly. And Tyler Bass just shanks a field goal wide right. The, the two worst words that any Buffalo Bills fan has ever heard. Um man, I wanted more football, Mike. And this, I, I mean, I, who knows? Kansas City had a minute 47. I, I remember a couple years ago when, when Patrick Mahomes got the ball back with, what, like 26 seconds to go and, and got them down to, field, to kick, kick a field goal as time expired. So I, there's no, no lead is safe with uh, Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the field, or at least no uh, – definitely a one-score lead's not safe or a tie game's not safe. But what – I mean, just – I love these two teams playing each other. This is Indianapolis, New England. We just need Buffalo to start getting a win once in a while in here. I don't want Buffalo to win. Sprinkle it in. You don't like Buffalo? No. I I, I, I can't root for them. I don't know why. I just wow. – I'm like – I'm not – I don't particularly like – see, Lamar Jackson looks foreign to me. He looks like an alien. I haven't figured him out yet, but I right. do like watching him play. Josh Allen, I get him, but I do not like watching him play. I am amazed at his plays, but he is he is not fun for me to watch. Um, so I'm not a fan of that team. I think they whine quite a bit. Um, I don't know. There's just something about I just I, I, I maybe it's I don't like these Buffalo fans. I don't like Bill's Mafia, whatever that is. I just like let's let's continue it. There's this movie. It's a crazy movie called Buffalo 66. I've seen it with Christine. And, yeah. And basically the idea is, is like in 1966, they won at like the AFC champion, you know, or AFL championship. That was the last time that this team was able to get there. And this game was post mid nineties. So they, were, they went through the pain of the four Super Bowls and all that kind of other stuff and how depressed each one of these fans were. And this guy's mom was just like a de- depressed bills fan and i just i i can't i can't Wasn't the guy gonna world kill, the, kill scott norwood or whatever the kicker from the, the those teams honestly i don't remember i, I don't remember the, the plot that deeply uh, that was it, it was a weird love story for sure yeah but ultimately what it comes down to is i'm not sure i know a world where the a, a bills fan is happy so that would be uh a world that I'm not pre- prepared for, perhaps. Um, the 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 picture from this game that I didn't know I, I needed to see or wanted to see was um, a shirtless Jason Kelsey pounding a beer uh, behind Taylor Swift and Brittany Mahomes hugging each other after a big play. It was it was the, a Travis Kelsey touchdown. Yeah, yeah. It, it, 
Jason just back there shirtless just pounding beers it was the funniest thing jumping into the crowd he like picked up some little girl and brought her up so she can meet Taylor Swift and have a have a picture with her or whatever it was was showed her showed her the sign that she had made for Taylor is what it was yeah Yeah, it was it was just it was pretty that guy seems like a lot of fun man. like he'd be a fun uh, fun hang well he definitely is what he is apparently um God, I forget that my mid thirties. He doesn't look like a guy in his mid thirties, but he is. He's still doing mid thirty things. Yeah. It's pretty funny. He, he t- I saw that on their podcast over the last couple of days. I saw a clip of it where he said that his wife told him that he needed to be on his best behavior because they were meeting Taylor Swift for the first time, and then he ends up shirtless and running around pounding down beers. It was pretty pretty epic. So. Well, it's funny is despite that, her, his wife saying that he mentioned that he was going to do that no matter what anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like, a, they, yeah, those Kelsey guys seem like they'd be, be a fun hang for sure. But um, yeah, well, I, mean, I will. I, okay. I will say you mentioned that you wanted more game here. You wish it would have extended. Um, I'm not sure I could have. Uh, I was already scaring my dogs as it was because I was like screaming and like, ah, oh, oh. All those noises that you make as a fan. Uh, obviously, I was going for Kansas City in this particular game. Um, I think it. Let's here, make your point, and then I want to talk a little bit about Mahomes and the Mahomes effect in some of these games. Oh, I just wanted to. You know, I was just going to say, like, I, I, I know that you said you don't really like watching Josh Allen play football all that much, or watching the Bills play, but. I just, you know, when he's not YOLO Josh Allen, I think it's a lot of fun, man. And he he had a great game. He did throw for only 186 and a touchdown, but also ran for another 72 in the two touchdowns you had mentioned. James Cook had a good game, too. Like, I, I just – I like the kind of the mixture. I like their tight ends there in, uh, with Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid in, in Buffalo. I think they, they have a fun team, man, moving forward. Um I thought a lot of the it was pretty funny, man. There's a few memes of uh, Stefan Diggs like looking relieved, and it was like Stefan Diggs after Tyler Bass missed the missed the field goal, and everybody forgot that he uh, dropped like a 75 yard touchdown pass from from Josh Allen in the second or in the fourth quarter. Wasn't a touchdown pass, but it would have been. Well, it would have probably for sure. been. It was going to be like a 75 yard. I mean, if he would have caught it in, in stride, like it looked like he could have. Then... The guy was the guy was on him, so it would have been caught and oh, tackled. Okay, it wouldn't okay. have been it wouldn't have been a touchdown it, unless he the the defender completely missed the tackle. But to okay. your point, it would have put him in position in scoring position because yeah. it would have put them, I believe, inside the ten, and then Josh Allen takes over. That running game takes over. Um, Either way, so, so it was a yeah. The the memes were going crazy, man, on uh, Twitter on Sunday night, which is always Twitter's always good for that after these football games. So, all right, let's let's talk about Mahomes. We we mentioned earlier on this year in this podcast that um, Patrick Mahomes is one of those field tilting players, uh, one of those players that it's it's really nice to have on your team. Well, I should say imperative to have on your team. It allows for, we mentioned it allows for the defense to make mistakes. If they're not stopping the run in the first half of the game, you always have Patrick there there to help level the playing field. That's what he did this game. The defense hadn't showed up right away. Uh, They got up, the the Bills got up to a pretty 
Um, I think they were leading at halftime 17-13. They scored and went ahead again uh, in the second half. And every time that the Bills came down the field and got into scoring position, Patrick Mahomes was able to take over uh, and uh, move this Chiefs offense that has underperformed for the most part this season uh, had moved them down the field and got them uh, points. Uh, in fact, had uh, Bass uh, nailed that field goal, it would still would have been a minute and a half essentially for Patrick Mahomes to get down and get into uh, a field goal range um, to hopefully kick a game winning field goal. So there's always, when you have a player that's that good, there's the one play uh, to MVS over the middle. It's like roughly like a post route where um, Mahomes backs up, but kind of like does his drop a little bit to the right. And they had two Buffalo Bills uh, free rushers coming off his right side. Do you remember this play? Yeah. Where he ducks, brings the ball over his shoulder, tucks, pops up in into the pocket and then fires a dot down to MVS for a big first down. And I I was thinking, did he set that those defenders up? Did he create that alley knowing that those rushers were going to come to that side and potentially be unblocked? Does he set them up by drifting to the right to give them the impression that they're right there? Maybe they take a bad line so that he has that opportunity to step up. I wouldn't put it past him that he was able to see that. I don't know if it was a reaction to, oh, the the offensive line broke down right there. I now need to react. Or was it all pre-snap where he's like, these guys are coming. I'm going to set them up by dropping back here, and then I'm going to step up to buy the time to get MVS open on that route because he knows it's going to take, I don't know, four seconds or three seconds to get MVS where he wants him to be. But with that rush that was coming, does he make that adjustment? I don't know, but it was a great play. I'd like to yeah. think because I think he's a superhero. I'd like to think that he uh, knew, it, <laughs> knew it was coming. I think that would be really cool. I think that would be the question I'd ask him if I saw him on the street right. uh, today. Where it's like, hey, man, did, did, you, did you know what you were doing when you, when you were dropping back and drifting to the right uh, before you stepped up into the pocket? Did you see that pre-snap or was that just a reaction to that right side that free rush on the right side. Yeah. That's what I'd ask him. Nice. Nice. Hit me, hit me up, Pat, if you're listening, I would really like yeah, to know. We'll put you, will you be our first guest on, on the uh, line? I don't know what I would do. I'd probably freeze up. That That's a big time stuff there. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it, man. Now let's come back to your take corner before we get through the rest of some of the things that we wanted to do. Let's okay. circle back. So your question to me, your question of the week this week was is the divisional round the best weekend of football uh of the season you kind of reiterated that in your take that this is the best weekend for football um i was listening to a couple podcasts today and they had co-signed that and you know before you asked that question i had no idea that this was a thing and yes it, it was a really great weekend of football we had four games uh, over two days, uh, eight teams, eight really good teams. Uh, I thought for the most part, the games were were exciting and good. There was always teams, with the exception of the Houston-Baltimore game, most of them uh, were one, decided by a, uh, one scoring drive. Um, so for the most part, they were all great games. 
Um, I guess I never really thought about it before. Yeah. I assume I mean, you think it but, is. Yeah, all but the all but the Ravens Texans game had yeah, they had the other team had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to go win it. But for the I guess the 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 Bills had to they, they missed that uh field goal with a minute whatever to go, but you know KC I mean? got the KC got the first down and was able to like uh get the 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 victory formation but yeah to your point it was close the other three games were within uh, a touchdown drive away yeah touchdown and some sort of extra point yeah interesting i'll have to i'll have to think about that i don't think there's any one game or one weekend during the regular season that obviously elevates to this level um, but I always never thought about the divisional round as the best because the, the me the games mean a little bit more as you move through the playoffs. Right. But man, I think if you weigh the volume of the games with the quality of the games and the urgency of those games, the division round might be the best one. Yeah. I All think right. So man. All right, so let's look forward a little bit. We have two games coming up in the conference uh, conference championship round. Um, KC at Baltimore is going into Baltimore, uh, and we got Detroit going into San Francisco, Levi Stadium. Uh, let's have a discussion about what we think about um, KC and Baltimore in that matchup. I'll let you uh, take lead there. Um, I just think this game is going to boil down to – does Kansas City's defense play inspired football like they did this last week at Buffalo? Because I think that's the main that's the main matchup that that's war- troublesome to me. Because I think Kansas City is going to be able to score some points. Um, their offense is starting to click. Uh, Rasheed Rice is getting getting busy, um, which is opening Travis Kelsey back up. He's He's kind of getting better, it seems like, every game over the last few after having a really down season. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the that's the matchup is how can Kansas City's defense keep Lamar Jackson within reach of the Kansas City offense? Do you think that um, the Bills matchup from an offensive perspective Bills offense to Kansas City's defense is a good primer game for what Baltimore is good at. That is running quarterback, good uh, a good running game, um, receivers that uh, you know good downfield receivers. Yeah, yeah, tight ends, strong tight ends. Do you think it's a bit of a template I, that KC I, can utilize? I do, I do. I think that. Uh... Yeah, I mean it's it, they do have a lot of the similar things. Like it's just Lamar Jackson's not as big as Josh Allen, but he's faster. A little faster, than Josh Allen. Yeah, so. a little faster for sure. Uh, well, if if KC can do what they did this week and adjust to what Baltimore throws at them, uh, and stay healthy throughout that game, that's a big key. Um, then they have an opportunity to win. Um, now, when you look at KC's offense versus the Baltimore defense, what would you expect to happen here? Do Does Baltimore come in and sell it on the run right away? Do they just sit back and play coverage like they have been most of the season? Like, what's your take? I feel how do, like how they, do they game plan for KC? I feel like you probably stay back in coverage to see what happens. You play um, to your strength. 
Yeah, you play to your strength. Because I, I, I forget what the stat was. I heard it a few weeks ago about how when Baltimore plays eight men in the box, like their defense is terrible compared to when they're playing back in coverage and having seven guys in the box and able to to rush the quarterback with those seven and, and stop the run with those seven. Once they start getting gashed in the run and have to bring another another uh, defender up, then that's when everything kind of changes for them. But right. So I mean, yeah, you know, I I feel like if I'm Baltimore, I'm I'm trying to stay back in coverage because that's our strength, and you know, trying to lock down Travis Kelsey, and you know, if you can keep, I mean, I, I would I would rather so tr- let try to try to try to mitigate Mahomes as best you can yeah. by by playing to your strength and coverage, yeah. and then play the rush the the you know play the the rush as best you can up and then make adjustments as you go so that's pretty much your game plan yeah i think this game's going to be a lot closer than people think i think it's probably going to be a three three point game four point game um and i mean i have the kc money line in this i think this round i'm really going with my heart versus my mind and i'm taking and um so yeah so i I think all of the things that you mentioned are what is the recipe. Um, Kansas City is going to have to be able to throw on this team. Um, Kansas City is going to have to be able to run on this team uh, first and foremost, because if they drop everybody and they do their, their, their coverage defense, if you can, you know, run on this team and bring that, them up, then they get a little bit worse on the back end. Um, so that's ultimately the recipe that I think Mahomes is like, again, he tilts the field a little bit. He has throws. Uh, he moves very well in the pocket. He he scrambles to throw, and he gets big chunks too. He's deceptively fast and agile out there, running for twenty yards. You know, on a quarterback well, sneak. This, He's, this team has won two Super Bowls in the last three years. So that's, I mean that 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 experience is 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 invaluable. You know, when it comes to these situations. A lot of a lot of these Baltimore guys haven't been deep into the playoffs, so um, that's what. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely I'm going with Kansas City in this game as well. Um, I think they're gonna pull it out, but I think it's gonna be very close. I think it's gonna be if, if it went either way, it wouldn't shock me, but I think it's gonna be close no matter what. Right on. It'll be a good game, I think. Nonetheless, let's yeah, see. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a quick look about um, that schedule um what is they are the early game 12 o'clock p.m uh pacific time yeah. uh, i'm gonna invite myself over to your house on sunday um starting at 12 o'clock uh to basically just watch all these games all the way through 12 to like six i'll be all in right. your hair so um that'll be fun all right, let's move on to the next game real quick and uh, get that knocked out. We got Detroit at San Francisco, obviously. Um, to me, Detroit's the darling of the playoffs. Uh, again, I'm going with my heart. I have them with the money line. Um, I this... love it, man. I love it. <laughs> well, we'll I... talk about dream matchups in a second, but I think yeah. I've just kind of like uh, told you what my dream matchup is. Uh, it would be very difficult for me to pick um, – who I want to win that Super Bowl, however. But to me, Detroit, this is kind of like they're the most variable type team. Like what defense shows up here? They are kind of a bend, don't break. Uh, they have trouble like tackle, you know, playing the run a little bit. 
Uh, I think they're pretty good in the secondary. So they, if if Debo's still hurt, that's going to be a problem. He said I think he's they... 50, 50 right now. Or okay. Oh, so 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 50, 50, questionable. 50. It's questionable. Okay. Um, yeah. So like all of those things, I think Detroit is the, the defense is a little. I, I don't know what to. I thought they, the Tampa Bay moved the ball against them pretty well last week, and that, that concerns me because I think Tampa Bay's offense, uh, Tampa Bay's team is kind of like but Green, tier, Green Bay tier moved, two. I, I feel like Detroit's offense is a lot better than Green Bay's, and Green Bay moved the ball against San Francisco last week as well. But I also think Love has a better skill set as a quarterback yeah. that, that lends itself to beating that team than Goff does. Goff is essentially like a stationary target that gets a little jittery under pressure, throws a lot of wobbly balls. There was a period of time in um, the fourth quarter when they really needed a couple of uh, like sustained drives to drain that clock uh, against Tampa Bay to kind of reduce their ability to like get, get another possession and they, he was throwing high. He was missing guys. They were, they were calling some interesting plays, you know, on third and ten or whatever. Some crossing routes that were right at the line. Um, and I just, I don't know if it's a play calling, but I wasn't really particularly happy about um, those particular calls, those particular throws. Um, they were playing pretty conservative. It, it, it didn't. They didn't look like a, a team that was in rhythm. Uh, and again. Whether it's the play calls, whether it's the team, the execution, whether it's Jared Goff, it doesn't matter because all three of those things are going to have to fly to uh, San Francisco and play the 49ers. So we'll see how it goes. I would say San Francisco is the better team. Um, If you can get out in front of them based on that statistic, if you can stay out in front of them and and put, put points on them, match them score for score which i think detroit can do they have a ton of weapons um if jared goff has the time that's the key does jared goff have the time is the running game work to open up that play action is he in rhythm with his throws if that's the case if they can create an environment for for goff he's gonna tear him apart Honestly, um, the secondary is the weakness for the 49ers. If you can get it over the top of those middle linebackers and if you can hold up that pass rush, which I think, you know, Detroit line has Detroit offensive line has an opportunity to do. I think they can see some success against this team. I, I think agree. the defense is the X factor, in my opinion, though. That's I'm not yeah. sure who's who's going to show up. Right. Yeah. Well, I did pick San Francisco. I mean, I'm just picking the game. Um, no, I haven't been doing the point spreads on any of these, obviously, but um, I, you know, if I had to put money on it, I would bet on San Francisco, but my heart's with Detroit for sure. Yep. Well, this one, it lends us the, the uh, ability to not really concern ourselves with losing dough. Uh, so we can kind of bet with our heart a little bit here. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think we've got our opinions out on that. Um, yeah. I had a question. I had a question of the week for you. You know, which was funny. I was like, I'll throw a question in there for Jeremy. All right. So first, I threw threw the one at you about like, is the divisional round the best round in the playoffs? So we already kind of covered that. So yeah, let's go. Yeah. Well, I mentioned I mentioned that was your your question. Yeah. What's what's your question then? All right. What I have two. What is the matchup that you most want to see in the Super Bowl? Detroit playing. 
you know, I like Kansas City and Baltimore both a lot. So um, I wouldn't mind seeing either one of them, but I'll go with Baltimore Detroit would probably be my my preferred matchup. Okay. And who would you like to win that? I really want to see Lamar Jackson get a, get a championship. Okay. Uh, And what's the matchup that you most don't want to see San Francisco against anybody? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much San Francisco (laughs) winning the Super Bowl. It it would be like the, my least, uh, least preferable outcome of all this um yeah i mean it'd probably be san francisco versus kansas city i guess and that's in that scenario well i think for me my the worst the one i don't want to see is san francisco at baltimore to me that's just like two hulks beating the shit out of each other and nothing really happening right, right. you know you watch those like like marvel movies and just hulks beating another hulk into the pavement but nothing's really happening right i just feel like that game would be just not not the exciting game that i want to see ultimately my matchup is kc detroit i would love to see that game um watch these teams play uh i think i would be happy if either team won um it's hard uh for a team like detroit coming out of nowhere uh to be in the super bowl with all the hype every week they're like we did it yay they're like these other guys kansas city is like we're we didn't do it we won this game we got to move on to the next so i think there's a mentality that you have to like not you have to level set your expectations and your enthusiasm and your joy because you still have work to do and you can't let the your foot off the gas in these cases and i worry that detroit kind of getting this far in the playoffs are going to be a little bit um, emotionally drained uh, when they get to these big moments. So we'll see if that's the case. I'm hoping that uh, Dan Campbell can keep them focused, uh, but that would be my dream matchup, KC at Detroit, or KC versus Detroit. All right. All right, uh, diversity section. Do you have anything there? Um, I finally yesterday watched Pillars of the Flower Moon. Oh, nice. I thought, I mean, I thought it was really well done. Uh, Yeah, I I listened to the book, uh, the Audible book of it before I watched it. So um, I feel like I know me and you have talked about that and and you like to watch the movie and then read the book. And I did the opposite. and I'm usually left pretty disappointed and I'm still was a little bit disappointed. They, they, they definitely could have done uh Scorsese could have done a, you know, especially in a three and a half hour long movie could have uh, got more of the FBI story in there of, cause it, it kind of tied in with the beginning of the FBI. Um, and also, yeah, it just, it, it was, it was really interesting. It kind of jumped around a little bit more than, Cause I was trying to, you know, just following like the story that I already knew from the, the book, there was a couple things that didn't add up in my head of what I thought had happened, but um, yeah, it was I, think his, I enjoyed it. I think his focus was let's talk about the atrocities against these indigenous people. Right. And, and make that the focus of this particular story. 
Um, and I appreciate what he was trying to do there. Um, but ultimately it was kind of like a whodunit um, in yeah. kind of a broad sense of, of, of the way. And I just wish uh, in a whodunit, there's always kind of a breakdown. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, when they all, came to a field and had the, had the cars sitting there and all the FBI guys were talking about stuff and um, a little bit more exposition, exposition there would have been nice. Um, maybe less of him playing with his kid in the house. I didn't need to see some of that stuff and just more little description about like the breakdown of the crimes, the extent of the crimes, you know, all that kind of other stuff. And I think that would have really, I guess I'll put it this way. I think he did a great job capturing the particular atrocities that were impressed upon this family and uh, and hinted towards the greater atrocities to the Osage people. Yeah. But I, I felt like there was an opportunity to broaden the scope of what the FBI was actually investigating and the actual atrocities um, that they endured. Uh, overall and i think yeah. there's could have been a little bit more exposition in the three and a half hours that um gave me a little bit more information something i could really stick my teeth into and get angry right. about um so yeah, yeah. But, it was well done I, I like yeah i, I like, hear that uh, stuff's in the book though yeah it is it is yeah yeah it was the book was great i definitely recommend the book and watch the movie too both of them it's it tells a story that should that we should have known about for you know uh, we should have been, I like we should it have grown up hearing about this in in the history books and we didn't I likened it to me not knowing until I was a full on forty year old white man about the the Tulsa massacre yeah I you and... know what I found out about that was when that show on HBO came out um oh my god man Watchmen the Watchmen yeah. Me too. That's the first time I found out about that. And I was like, what the hell? And now I actually, that's the book I was I'm like, reading. I'm reading now uh, uh, or listening to an audible book called Tulsa 1921. And it's about. Uh, like they're dropping, they're dropping bombs from planes on somebody in Tulsa. Like what's yeah. going on? And I, and I, and I looked it up and I'm like, it's a thing. And then since I you know did that, it's just like, it's everywhere. I mean, those types of things need to be called out. Honestly, yeah. we need to be better. We need, we need to learn from these atrocities and get better. You know, Agreed. dealing with humanity and yeah. and you know apologizing and all the other stuff that, that we need to do as a society. But anyways, yeah, that was really great. It was a great movie. I watched it this weekend as well. Nice. Thank you, Apple TV, for putting it out there. Yeah. Um, my diversity item. I was watching. There was moments this week where like Angie was working on a project and instead of getting into a show or movie like in the early evening I would pop on YouTube and we were we subscribed to a couple of these van life station uh, like channels and stuff like that and we would watch like this particular person like out camping like living life out of like literally lives in a van his entire life and just kind of watching like that lifestyle I ended up um like really wanting to go camping. I was like, man, I need to get out. So we're planning a camping trip um, during the bye week. So not this weekend, but the following weekend, we were going to head out to probably um, the peninsula, the Washington uh, Olympic National Forest for those 
who are, are not from this area and just go out there camping, bring the dogs. I'm really excited to kind of get outside and, and do that. We've been kind of cooped up over the last uh, few months. Yeah. So it's about time for us to get out in the nature. Nice. Nice. All right. Let's hurt some goats. All right. Um, you want to go first? What's sure. Good? good. Good as Dan Campbell. Um, this week I have been consuming all like press conferences from Dan Campbell, all like those, the clips that they have from hard knocks about him having a plan and, and just, they, they've been editing it with music behind it. And it's just, it's firing me up. It's making me emotional. i I'm looking at this dude really cares. And the way he speaks is so, um, it really that is front forward he he has his emotion on his on his shirt right out in front you can see it he seems to really care he uh he's he's built a team he's built a winner he's changed the trajectory of a franchise in a lot of ways um he's to me kind of like one of my favorite i hesitate to say characters but for lack of a better term better characters of this season and especially the playoffs. Character uh, I, NFL script. Eh, yeah. I mean, he's, I, if anything, I think Detroit's bucking the script, but I definitely, um, I don't know. I you, We've talked about this before, right? I have a lot of problem with some of these kind of Peyton, uh, Sean Peyton-y type coaches that are just like absolute egomaniac dicks and think they can just do anything that they want and they have a good game plan. And and so that's great. They get jobs, but I think there's other guys that go out there and really care about the players. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business you had to cut and, you know, bring other people in and that's just the nature of it. But when you're in the building, I really get the sense that in Detroit, this man cares about you. He cares about the team. He has a plan he thinks about this stuff deeply. He uh, surrounds himself with teachers. And um, that's an important thing for me as a fan watching, uh, like, what type of coach do we bring into Seattle, for example? I want somebody that builds a program, that can create a culture, that can teach players, that can uplift players that haven't gotten to that level quite yet. They can find ways to improve those players and and put them in key situations and teach them and learn and bring new guys in and teach them so that they can learn. And that's so important to me. And I think Dan Campbell has all those things, all those qualities. Yeah. I love that. Um, Speaking of that, on on that kind of note, I I did hear uh, a guy that covers or he works in, has worked in the, the Las Vegas Raiders front office over the last couple of years. Uh, talking about Patrick Graham, the um, defensive coordinator from the Raiders, who's interviewed with Seattle a couple of times, and how apparently this dude is like, so he's a black guy. He went to Yale, uh, could have gone and played football anywhere he wanted in the country, but decided to go to Yale because of the opportunities that that education would give him. Um, just like when I guess one of he's like a younger guy, like in his early or I mean his late forties. Um, but defensive minded, but he doesn't like stick to one thing. He looks at like what he has, which I think more coaches should do instead of trying to fit players into their mold for, for the, the type of offense or defense they want to run. He apparently 
caters the defense to he looks at all like everything between like what what the other team has as far as offense like if they have injuries or something like let's try to run things this other way because we can take advantage of their you know they're being hurt or whatever so I'm kind of high on him right now like I wouldn't mind seeing somebody like that come in um just because and I guess he's like the one of the greatest teachers in the game like he just is like he develops players and uh, I I like to hear that Um, it's so important yeah yeah anyway um sorry so my good they announced uh major league baseball announced their hall of fame induction class yesterday and um it has a little bit of a football um hint of football in there so joe mauer um was elected to the hall of fame uh he was the minnesota uh player of the year in football his senior year in high school beating out larry fitzgerald for that honor uh had a full ride scholarship to play quarterback at florida state uh but was ended up being the number one pick in the draft by the minnesota twins and decided to go uh play baseball instead but um and he was also a four, I heard an interesting thing. He was a four-year starter in high school for baseball and football, but in baseball specifically, and he only struck out one time in four years. And I guess at his uh, his retirement celebration or whatever, five or six years ago in Minnesota, uh, they brought out the, the one guy that had struck him out to throw out the first pitch of the of the game, which I thought was kind of funny so and then also Todd Helton uh was elected to the Hall of Fame and he was actually uh the starting Peyton Manning backed him up his first couple of years at uh Tennessee so right on yeah thank you for the baseball you got it <laughs> all right bad Adrian Griffin um fired as the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks uh, this weekend. Um, God damn it, Mike. This is my ugly. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it now. Um, I said bad because he was fired uh, at, at the half um, halfway mark of the NBA season uh, in his first uh, season with the Bucks. He just, whatever he was doing, didn't seem to agree with his players. Um, right off the bat, before the season even started, Terry Stotts, a, a former head coach himself for the Portland Trail Blazers uh, left uh, because he was kind of, they had a little disagreement or whatever. Apparently Griffin was having some issues with different players and different front office mm-hmm. front office apparently was uh, had to go to practices on a daily basis to make sure everything was okay. Um, and they had been talking with doc um, doc rivers uh, since December-ish, I guess, as a consultant, and they ended up hiring him to bring him in. So Adrian Griffin, uh, 43 games into the NBA season, fired as the head coach of, I believe, the second-place Bucks in the Eastern Conference. And fourth-place um, fourth in all of the NBA. <laughs> uh, bold, bold move, uh, but I always appreciate some of these bold moves sometimes. It's like, all right, we see that this isn't working. We think we have a team that can get us to a championship if we have the right leader um, getting them there. And if they, if you feel that leader is not good, I think you have to, you have to make that move. Um, I trust them a little bit more than I've trusted um, 
uh, David Tepper. It's kind of the same thing, but in this case, David Tepper uh, was firing people that weren't necessarily the problem. Uh, I think in this case, this very rare case, Adrian Griffin was actually the problem. The what the defense, the offense and defense that he was trying to to add to this team was not conducive to the players that they had um, on the court. So yeah, bring in somebody that knows how to play with the certain types of players or can at least adapt and uh, we'll see. We'll see if it works yeah, out by the end of the I season. I mean, they're, yeah, that, they, their problem is they traded Drew Holiday, who is probably the best on-ball defender in the NBA, for Damian Lillard, who can shoot the lights out, but doesn't uh, doesn't want to defend anybody. So um, that's tough, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel bad for him. And yeah, the fact that they're second place in the Eastern conference and he just got canned is uh pretty crazy. So, uh, all right. Yeah, that you said that, that was that your was, ugly. That was my what? ugly. So my bad is throwing the ball back across the middle, across your body, back to the middle of the field. Cause Baker Mayfield essentially had the same thing. Like it was Baker Mayfield and Jordan love both could have potentially won the game or at least got tied the game to go to overtime. I guess they were both would have had to tie it more than likely. I guess Jordan love had the chance to get a touchdown, but anyway, uh, yeah, man, T- like, Tampa had to score a touchdown and get a two point conversion. Two point, to tie right. it. But yeah, just don't do it. We know that from the time you play little league football, that's like the number one, number one, no, no, do not throw the ball back across your body. Well, it's that false sense of confidence where you think you have that arm. You think it's you have true. the ability. You think you can make the throw. You've been doing it since you were a child. And right. then the realization that you didn't see the linebacker underneath. Right. Exactly. All right. Cool. All right. What's your uh, what's your ugly? Tyler Bass. Oof. Now, I'm not going to fault anyone for like not making a play. There's several players in a given game that aren't making a play. This one seems to be highlighted because it had an opportunity to at least put the game into a tie and perhaps force an overtime. Um, so, yeah, he kicked, missed wide right. Fine. He, he should have made it. He didn't. Okay. I think the response of some of the Bills Mafia, he, he received so many death threats that he had to kind of jump off of social media. And I hate to see this kind of stuff. It, the Tyler Bass himself is not the ugly portion of this, but the reaction to the miss uh, by the fans uh, is is the ugly part of this. It's the ugly part of sports. It's the ugly part of humanity. It's the insecurity of a fan base that cannot deal in reality and want to blame other people for their uh, lack of success in their own lives. And we need to take all of this stuff with a grain of salt. It literally does not affect you or me or any of these Buffalo fans in any real way. Um, they are not part of the organization. They are a fan. Let's let's try to curb your emotions and not take it out on a singular person, regardless of what you feel like you've been through and how the world is crapped on you and your franchise. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's just. I mean, I think that could have would have probably been the case with 
any number of fan bases, uh, which doesn't make it right on any level. But I don't know if you can just single out Buffalo as being like a bad apple. But well, I can hear because this is the this is the example that made ugly. Right. But to your point, it's happened. Yeah, it, it to other if, players. I'm sure if Kansas City's kicker would have missed that, missed a kick and. They would have lost. It would have been similar. But yeah, it's it's crazy. It's football fans in general need to chill the hell out. I remember, um, I don't know what it must have been like oh four oh five, and I had some friends that were at WSU, and their kicker missed like three field goals in a game or something, and apparently he had like death threats on his little board outside of his dorm room when he came came back to 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 his room, which would that that would be. A little nerve-wracking, I feel like. More so than, you know, a, a professional athlete getting into that kind of stuff. Like, you're living next to these people that are threatening to kill you. That would be a little bit, uh, a little scary, so. Indeed. Anyway. All right, well, please uh, listen, like, rate, review, and share the podcast. Appreciate you all. Mike, go ahead. Jeremy, I got a plan. I swear to you, man. I think about this podcast. That's all I think about, man. I just need you to trust me. That's all. Please. Let's do better next time.